Good morning, Hope Community Church. It's a good day to be in the house today, and I'm excited you're here, and I'm excited we get to have this time together. There's a lot of cool things happening. Don't forget, uh, just to reiterate, I know it was just said to you, but this coming Wednesday night, uh, we're baptizing people. It's going to be a great time. Uh, We're looking forward to, if the weather cooperates, being outside, and... um, we believe the baptisms are an important thing. And so we want you here celebrating with those, uh, making a public profession of their faith. And we're just so excited about it. Also, uh, we feel the tremblings of Berkeley Springs campus. Uh, we've had um, just amazing meetings. And a couple of weeks ago, had Insight Night uh, with a lot of energy. And we're thankful for that. And we're looking forward to a couple of months starting campus in Berkeley Springs. So if you know somebody in Morgan County, let them know sooner than later. There's going to be a really, really good Hope Community Church there in Morgan County. But today, oh, wait a second. I forgot to tell you. I forgot to say I so appreciate uh, Mike and Cindy Zello last week. Uh, Beauty for Ashes being here. I know uh, there's such a powerful ministry and um, the stories of those ladies uh, and what God is doing in their lives is just really unbelievable. It's the gospel uh, in flesh. It's what it looks like, God restoring and redeeming lives. And we're just so thankful for the Zellos uh, being heroes of the faith and in the redic- addiction ministry. And so just excited about it and thankful to be able to partner with them. And looking forward in the future how we can do that. So keep praying for them. Keep supporting them. And um, and we're thankful for all they do. Today we're starting a new sermon series uh, called Double Down. We're going to be walking through the book of James. If any of you have ever read through the book of James, you know that James uh, does not play around. That James is um, is blunt. And, and he is to the point and unapologetic. And so we're going to be walking through that the next couple months, the book of James and applying it to our lives and into our current circumstances. And, and I believe God is going to speak a word to us. He's going to re reaffirm, uh, what some of you already know, and he's going to establish in you what some of you've never heard before. And so, uh, this is so important, good biblical doctrine about how we live our lives and how we react to things. So I'm excited about it. Amen? All right, stand to your feet. We're going to read, uh, we're going to start out at the beginning of James. Stand to your feet for reading of the word. We'll start in verse 1 and we will read down through verse 18 for today. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the te- that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I told you James is going to be blunt. He starts out with a little, short, little teeny greeting and then says, hey man, life's going to suck. <laughs> Get used to it. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for 
The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life for which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, but he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the first fruits of his creatures. Father, we thank you so much today for your good word. Thank you, God, that you, that you don't just leave us, but you guide us. You've, you've given us scripture. You've given us the roadmap. And you implore us to, to remember it, to memorize it, and to apply it to our lives and our current circumstances. So we ask you, Lord, to renew our minds today. You promised that you would do that every time we look into your word. So we ask you to do that. We pray, Lord, that we'd be more like Jesus because we were together. And Lord, we thank you. And we look forward to the gospel going further and faster because we were here today in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen. And amen. You may be seated. You might not know this, but James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He was the son of Mary and the son of Joseph, but not uh, the son of the Holy Spirit. That's That's who Jesus was. Jesus was a virgin birth. And James was, let's say, the more traditional type. <laughs> he, um, he's known to be very blunt. We find out in Acts that he was um, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And we find out that he writes this letter... Uh, this this all correlates to what we've been talking about in the in the suddenly series as well because James opens up the letter to the twelve tribes tribes in the dispersion and so he's referring to after the stoning and death of Stephen he's referring to how the church was scattered uh, all over the place we know uh, that it was scattered all the way out to Antioch we know that uh, Paul and Barnabas had started. Uh, missionary journeys and all those things. And so we know that the church was scattered because of persecution and James being the pastor decided he should write and encourage the people who he pastored, which happened to be all over the place now. And so James is known for being extremely blunt, extremely forthright and not putting up with any nonsense. He was a pastor that was encouraging his flock with a little bit of um, blunt truth. I mean, no, we need some of that today. 
Sometimes we need people to stand in front of us and say, hey, what you're doing is not good. This is how you should do it. And James is one of those type people. So, so James just opens up right up, right up front. And he starts talking about trials and tribulations and, and temptation and all those things that even today we experience. But it was extremely meaningful then because, because the church was being persecuted. The church was being scattered all over the place. And so James is writing, here's how you, here's how you operate under these conditions. Remember how, what God has done for you. Remember what his promises are under these conditions. You can't forget that. And so we're going to talk about that today. Now I know that you've heard me say that it's not actually, it's not accurate to take what the church was walking through in the moment and apply it to a bad day in traffic. You can't say, Hey, I'm going through trials and tribulations because I pulled into Dunkin' Donuts and they got, they got my coffee wrong. <laughs> These are real trials and tribulations. But I will say this. I know some of you here are walking through real trials and tribulations, real temptations. Not the, not these fake snowflake things that just, you know, I bumped my head today or, or, or I mean, some of you in this building are walking through real difficult circumstances. James is writing this to you. James is explicitly telling you, here's how you need to think when things aren't, when things aren't rosy. Here's how you need to think when, when you are under trials, here's how you need to think when when temptations come, here's how you need to respond. So we're going to dig into it. We're going to dig into it. He starts right off the bat. Lean into the productive times of life. That's, that's what I got right off, right off the jump. Lean into the, to the productive times of life. Now, now the problem is James is defining a productive time of life extremely different than what we would in modern times. So if you ask me, what are the most productive times in your life? I would say, man, it was, it was when I had the most influence and it, it's when I had the most money and it's when I had the, the, my job was going the best and, and all these things just were clicking and I was producing and we get the, we get production, the idea of production wrong because we think it's what we're producing instead of what God's producing in us. You see, because fruit is, is the, is a result of what's in the tree. And so God never talks about the fruit of faith until he, until he starts talking about what the tree looks like. And so Jesus, Jesus talks that you can do nothing apart from me, that, that there's, there's a vine and there's branches and, and the branches have to stay connected to the vine. He talks about that in John and he says, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so God always starts with, Hey, what goes in is what comes out. And so James, when he talks about being productive, he doesn't start out with what you do. He starts out with what is, what is being done in you. We don't like that. I, I, you, you know, that, uh, that I, I joke about the way I eat and stuff like that, but there, there's a reality of what we put in dictate, dictates what comes out. What you put in dictates how much energy you have. What, what you put in dictates whether your cholesterol is high or not. What you put in dictates certain things. And so James starts out with what is being produced in us, 
not, not what is being produced out of us. And you need to, some of you need to lean into that alone because, because if you're my personality type, you're always focused on what we're producing, what we're producing, what is coming out, what's God doing through me, what's God doing through me, what, how, how am I going to produce more? How am I, how am I going to go further? That's your mindset all the time. But God is more interested in what is, what is being produced in you. And so James defines that productive time as what's happening in you, not necessarily what's happening outside of you yet. So he says, he says trials produce things. So he says, lean in, lean into the productive times of life. And he defines, he defines productive as the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let's go back and read that. Counted all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So he said, when you are going through difficult times, real difficult times, maybe you've got a disease that you have no idea. Maybe, maybe all hell's broken loose in your life. You just have nowhere to turn. You don't even, not even sure how it happened. Maybe it's real temptation. We'll get into that in a second. And you're not sure. James says that, that trial of all kinds has the ability to produce things in your life that nothing else can. So what do we do? We lean into those times, he says. He says, count it all joy. Paul wrote the same thing to the Romans. He says in chapter five, verse three through five, not only that, but also we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul's saying the same thing. Lean into them. Don't run away from them. Don't, don't just bellyache and complain. No, he says lean into it because God wants to produce something in you. Here's how Paul says it. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. In some, some translations of the Bible, it says suffering produces perseverance. The ability to keep going, the ability to keep, keep making it, keep, keep, keep your head up. It produces steadfastness, James says. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to start leaning in. James says, lean into it. Count it all joy. Rejoice in suffering. Paul says this over and over and over again in his epistles. These, these, uh, these small little trials, these small little persecutions, these small little things are not worthy to be compared to what God is revealing in us. So what he's saying is what's being produced in you is actually greater than the trial that's producing it. And so if we know that, if we know what's, what's happening to us is actually producing something greater than the pain that's happening at the moment, then we, then we can lean in and we can realize it's producing things in our lives. So that's the first thing James says, just lean into the productive times of life, but you have to redefine the productive time. And it's not when everything is going well. A lot of times it's when all hells broke loose in your life. God is producing things. James is reminding the church of something they already know. Times of testing and trials can be the most productive times in our lives. And the Jerusalem church at this time is experiencing just that. They're, they're, being, they're being refined and shaped. 
not, not in a cozy little environment, not even, not, a, not an environment like this where, where it's all nice and climate controlled. No, they're being shaped. Their faith is being shaped by trials, by leaving their homes, by leaving their jobs, by, le- by moving to another place because of persecution. It's, it's an upheaval of their lives. And James is reminding the church, hey, listen, God is producing something in you right now. Lean into it. Because when you change your outlook, you end up changing the results. So watch this. I get to define what is happening to me. God gave you that free will. God gave you that ability. You get to define. You get to characterize. You get to shape it. So what happens to me, I either get to define as something that is producing or something that is useless. Only you can make that decision. No one else on the planet can make that decision for you. No one else can walk up to you and say, hey, listen, trust me, when, you, when you're walking through this, it's, it's going to produce something in you. You have to believe that for yourself. So God gives you the free will to define every trial that you walk through, every valley that you seemingly get stuck in. God gives you, you the ability to define it. No one else. And James is saying, listen, the way you think about what you're walking through right now will determine the outcome. Because there's two things that you can be. And I believe there's only two things you can, you can actually be on this planet. You can be, either be an overcomer or a victim. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. Either you're going to be a victor or you're going to be a victim to your circumstances. And James is saying there is no such thing as victims in the kingdom of God. He's saying, listen, the church, you're walking through trials right now. But guess what? Those trials are going to produce faith in your life so that you can overcome. And when we get to the end of this section in James that we're reading, you're going to find out that that's God, that was God's design in the trial. That he wanted to produce things in you. You're going to be the results of his work in your life. So you got to make up your mind this morning. Are you going to be a victim of an illness? Or are you going to be an overcomer? I'm not saying overcomer because God is going to heal you. I'm saying overcomer because faith is being produced in you. Good things are being produced in you. Steadfastness is being produced in you. It'd be, it'd be easy to be an overcomer if every time I got a sniffle, God just healed me. But the trial of sickness causes me to be steadfast. The trial of persecution causes me to be steadfast. The trial of whatever you're walking through has the potential to cause you to be to have perseverance and steadfastness. The issue is, James says, you have to define it that way. You get to define it. That's why he tells us up front. That's why he tells us up front, count it all joy. That's something you do. That's something you do. Count it all joy. Paul says, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. That's something we do. You get to determine. You get to define it. When we change our outlook, we change the results. So here's what I have to say every morning when I wake up, Lord, I'm walking through this difficulty in my life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a job. Lord, I'm walking through this difficulty in my life. It, 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 it physically feels awful right now, but I know you're producing something in me. And so therefore I will define it as a good thing. So that changes the way you go to work. 
That changes the way you go to, you don't go to work tomorrow going, man, I'm telling you, if I had 30, I just quit this job. I can't stand this boss. I can't da, 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 da. No, you go to work tomorrow with a different outlook because you realize that God is producing something in you through the trial. <laughs> you say, Chris, what are you teaching us to be a masochist? Like we just love pain? No, 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 no. I'm not telling you to love pain. But if you've been alive on this earth 30 seconds, you know pain's coming. It's part of the sin part of life. Pain is coming and there's no way around it. Trials are coming and there's no way to avoid them. And, and David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't have to have an impact on my life. It doesn't have to ruin me. I don't have to be a victim in the valley. I can be an overcomer. How do I do that? I walk into work the next day and in the middle of all the controversy and all the trials and all the pressure, I go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This person that I'm beside right now thinks they're destroying me and yet I am an overcomer. And yet I know it's producing something in me for your glory. So, so James says, man, count it joy, rejoice. Rejoice, you get to define this. You get to define this. So here's what happens. In the church, we should be realistic about what's going on, but not a bunch of complainers. Hey man, I am going through this difficulty, but God is producing something in me. That's totally different from, well, I'm going, the devil's just beating me up. I don't know what to do. The devil's just ruining my life. That's a totally different story. As a church of victorious people, we have to be the ones that define that. We have to be the ones that can say, hey, listen, I am in a tough circumstance right now, but it is not defining me. What God is producing in me will define me. I'm going to be known as somebody that can persevere. I'm going to be known as somebody that can overcome. So we lean into the productive times of life. Can I just say this? I would not be who I am today without the difficulties I've walked through. And neither would you. Neither would you. If you didn't have any difficulties, you'd be a spoiled brat right now. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't do it. If you didn't have any difficulties right now, you'd be the worst person on the planet because the most productive times of your life, James and Paul and Jesus all agree on the same issue are when we're walking through the difficult times, when the pressure is put on causing us to change. And so I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the pressure. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the pain. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the trial. So James says, lean into it, man. Lean into it and know it can be the most productive time of your life. And so change the way you talk about it. Change the way you talk about it. Because if you change the way you talk, it'll be indicative that your thoughts have changed. Change the way you talk. So he moves on and he says, okay, okay, make sure, make sure that you're thinking about this the right way. So when you're walking through various kinds of trials, for the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect that you may, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so he says there's this process of walking through a trial that God is like refining you. It's like taking something that's gold, realizing it's not a hundred percent pure gold, putting it in something in a really really hot furnace. 
until all the impurities come out. And then when you, then when you lift it back up out of there, guess what? It's better than what you started with. But that thing better be hot. That thing better be hot. So when we're in the trial, he said it's producing the steadfastness. And what happens is it ends up perfecting what was put in it. It ends up perfecting what was put in it. So here's, here's the deal. I always realize that I'm, I'm a better person. I'm, I'm a more, I'm a more wise person. I'm, 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 I'm a more consistent person after a trial than I was before a trial. So James says there's this process taking place, but in the process, there's something you have to be willing to do in the process. There has to be something you're willing to do. Now, listen, he's not changing subjects here. He's not going, Hey, that's the trial part. And now here's the wisdom part. No, these are still, this, this conversation is still linked. It's all about trials and tribulation. It's all about suffering. So watch what he says. He says in the middle of it, you cannot be afraid to ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Okay. So watch this. You know what you do in the middle of a trial? Define it the right way, lean into it and then ask, ask, ask for help. Look at your neighbor right now. Turn to him, turn to him and say, you better ask for help. You better ask for help. Some of you, some of you can't say that, but say it like this. Look at, say self, come on, self, ask for help. Let me hear you out loud. Say self, ask for, there you go. Ask for help. Okay. Every man in the building. No, I'm just kidding. This is the most difficult part of my life right here. This is the most difficult part of my life. Ask for help. You say, yeah, but it's not hard to ask God for help. Ah. James says is if you lack wisdom, can I just pair that phrase out for you? If you don't know what you're doing and, and it doesn't mean if you, if you're too prideful to act like you don't know what you're doing, you know, if you're faking it, James says, don't fake it. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know where to turn, if you don't know what to do, ask for help, ask for wisdom. I heard somebody the other day define wisdom is wisdom. Isn't what you know. It's what you don't know. Wisdom is what you don't know. Because if I knew what to do, I'd be doing it already. So he says, listen, when you're in the middle of something deep, when you're in the middle of some trial, when you're in the middle of some tribulation, when you're down in the middle of even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Where do you think he got that? Just didn't pop in his head. David had had, an, had had a relationship with God that produced wisdom in his life. Why? Because he wasn't afraid to ask. And we can't be afraid to ask today either. Asking is not a sign of weakness. Asking is a sign that you're not too prideful to find out what you don't know. So here's what I learned. I just did it the other day. Sat down with a friend of mine. who's about 10 years older than me. And I remind him about that all the time. 
sat down with a friend of mine who's about 10 years older than me. His kids are older than mine. And I just started, I was like, man, we're just walking through these things. And they're not bad things. They're just things I've never experienced. How many of you right now are dealing with something you've never experienced before? Raise your hand. That's what I figured. And those of you that don't have your hand up, we'll pray for you. Because maybe you don't even realize you're experiencing something you didn't, that you didn't, that you never experienced before. So here's, here's the issue. I realize I'm walking through things in life. I'm this age for the first time. I've got this age kids for the first time. I've been married this long for the first time. I've never been married this long before. That'd be weird because I would have had to get gotten married when I was one. The issue is I'm experiencing things that I've never experienced before. So here's what I inherently know. There are other people who have lived longer than me who have already experienced it. So I sat down with my friend the other day at lunch and I said, uh, hey, this is what, man, this is blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, just, here's what, here's what we just walked, here's what we walked through and here's how we walked through it. And I went, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I just give you a little insight right now? If you're coming to a church and not taking advantage of the godly wisdom in the church, what's the point? Just to come and hear hear some good music, God puts you, and if you're sitting in this room today, look around. God puts you in a family with godly wisdom, and he said, ask. Ask. Ask, ask. If you're walking through a trial now, right now, you don't know what to do. Being a tough guy isn't the answer. Acting like you have it all together isn't the answer. Walking up to somebody who knows more scripture than you do and has lived longer than you do and asking is the answer. Praying, God, give me wisdom. And then he puts wisdom right in front of you every Sunday, right in front of you every connect group, right in front of you every time you have an interaction with someone, with a godly person who has lived longer than you. That's wisdom standing right in front of you. He says, ask. Just ask for it and he will be faithful to give it to you. You know what I've never had? I've never sat in front of somebody and said, man, I'm walking through this right now. What should I do about it? And then go, I'm not telling. I'm not telling you. Never had that happen. Every time I've sat in front of somebody and said, man, I don't know what to do. I'm in the middle of this. They've been willing to talk to me. They've been willing to help me out. And God says, if you ask, I'll give it to you. But you can't, you can't be prideful in the moment. Matter of fact, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before the fall. So if you won't ask, it's going to turn out bad. If you're too prideful to get help, it's going to turn out bad. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. The way you ask for it is as important as what you ask for. James says you can't be double-minded. You can't ask and doubt at the same time. You can't want wisdom, but don't believe it'll help at the same time. Oh. You ever ran across anybody like, I pray, but I don't think God's listening. That's double-mindedness. You might as well stop praying. James says you can't doubt and have faith in the same thought. 
Now, 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 some of you know scripture and you say, well, what about the man that said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. That's not the same thing. He's saying, Lord, I want to believe more. That's not walking up to your friend and say, well, pray for him, but I don't think it's going to work. It's not going to work. I've tried that Jesus stuff and it's not going to work. You can pray for me if you want to. God, I'm asking you to help, but I don't think it's going to do anything. Satan convinces us that, well, you can pray, but it's not going to help. And we start... We start repeating that. We start repeating that. Well, I'm in church, but nobody cares. Well, I'm, I'm here, and but nothing's going to happen. Now, James says that's like, that's like a guy sitting on the ocean. It's just, it's like a wave. Nothing's ever stable. Nothing is ever stable. And so you're walking through the trial, and it's producing nothing. He says, ask in the middle of the trial for wisdom. If any of you lack anything, if you lack the ability to navigate this, ask God and he will give it to you, but you cannot be double-minded. You can't doubt the same person you're asking for directions. (laughs) You know, it saved me a lot of energy over my life. If I don't think you have the answer, I'm not going to ask you. It saves a whole lot of energy. If I don't have enough faith in you that you know what you're talking about, I'm not going to ask. That's a novel idea, isn't it? If I'm walking through marriage problems and there's a kid in the back that's four, I'm not going to walk up to him and say, hey man, what do you really think about this? Let me tell you a couple things about my wife. See what you think. That's foolishness. So James is saying, if you're doubting God and asking him to give you the information at the same time, that's as unstable as you can get. If you're saying, God's not going to help me, but I'm going to ask anyway. No, he's saying, listen, when you come to him, you're, you be full of faith. You say, listen, you know what? I am the very act of asking. I believe that God can do all things. And so I'm going to ask him to guide me through this. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he is with me. That statement was not, uh, I'll fear no evil, but I'm not sure. That'd be double-minded. No, he says, when you ask, ask, and he will give it to you. Jesus said, Jesus told us this in John chapter 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may glorify the son. He says, ask me in my name. You know what that means? That means I believe he can do anything. Let me, let me also say this. You can't blame God for where you are and then ask him to get you out of where you are. (laughs) You can't blame him for where you're at and then turn around and ask him to get you out of where you're at. That's double-minded. Well, God's just trying to punish me right now. But if you give me wisdom, Lord, I could get out of this. That's like God's some sadistic overlord punishing you and then getting you out, punishing you and then getting, that's an abusive spouse relationship. That's not God. So we can't look up to God and say, you did all this and you're, 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 you're making me walk through this and it's terrible. But now I want you to get me out. That's double-minded. God, I believe you're good. 
I believe you know everything that's happening right now. I believe you're good. And I believe Romans 8, 28, that all things will work together ultimately for good because you will use everything the devil tries to do to me. You will use even the stuff I, tr- I do to myself, which we will get into in a second. Even the stuff I do to myself, you will use it and produce things in me. But I know this did not come from you. I'm not going to be double-minded on this. You're good. And you want the best for me. And you're going to produce something in my life right now. All right. So James says, lean into the difficulty. He says, ask God for wisdom in the middle of the difficulty. And then realize this. Sometimes you did it to yourself. God didn't do this. Ooh, I told you, James, um, I told you, James was pretty blunt. Listen, I know this is not popular. I know that we live in a society that everything that happens to you is someone else's fault. That's not true. Some trials that we're walking through right now are by our, are made by our own hands. Some of the things, some of the difficulties that I've had and do have in my life were not, were produced by me. They were produced by sin in my life. Come on, I know I'm not going to get any amens right now. But listen, some of the issues we have, some of the valleys we get stuck in are not even the devil. It's us. God's got nothing to do with it. Sometimes the hole I'm in was produced by the shovel in my hand. And I was too stupid to put a ladder down there. I talked to somebody the other day. I'm like, hey, if you're going to dig a hole, you better at least bring a ladder. No, no, no. When we are tempted, all we do is bring a shovel. We didn't have a plan of escape. When scripture tells us that he will provide a way of escape every time. We go, no, 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 don't need a, I, I just need a shovel. And we dig a hole, dig a hole, dig a hole, dig a hole, dig a hole. And we get down to the bottom of it and we look up and we go, oh, I think I forgot something. I think I forgot the way out of this. So James makes sure that he tells everybody, remember, this is a suffering church. Remember, this was persecution. Remember, there was all kinds of things happening. He, He tells them in the middle of this, God didn't do it to you. Yes, he's using it for your good. Yes, he's producing things in you. But even in the middle of this, you can be your own worst enemy. Watch what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, that's step one. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. That's step two. And when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You got three steps to death. Three steps to disaster. Do not be deceived, my brother, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own he if his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he's saying this. He's saying, listen, God doesn't change. God does not change. He didn't tempt people in the past and he's not tempting you in the future. God doesn't change. I want to read you this as an example. This is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, verse 
We'll start in verse 1. The band's going to come up. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days... Wait, wait, wait. We just read through that too quick. Then Jesus being led was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit, but the devil did the tempting. He was led by the Spirit, but the devil did the tempting. Don't forget that. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, not God, the tempter, Satan. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written... He answered the tempter, not God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil, the tempter, took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil, the tempter, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all these I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. And angels came and ministered to him. So Jesus went through a trial. He was led by the spirit to a place. He was tried 40 days and 40 nights, no food. Then the tempter came and said, Hey, do all these things. You'll get all these things and I'll give you all these things. And then when he resisted by biblical wisdom, did you hear that? So now we're seeing the formula that James told the church, we saw how it was played out in Jesus's life. So James says, lean into the trial. It's going to produce something in your life. He said, ask for wisdom. And when you use wisdom, you will get through the trial and the trial will produce. So Jesus does this. He uses biblical wisdom to defeat the devil and the devil leaves him. So what we find out is God is not the one tempting him Satan is, and James says that after he says, get wisdom, he says, remember, these God didn't do this. Satan is the tempter. And he says, sometimes we give into that temptation. The spirit did lead him into the wilderness, but Satan did the tempting. Some of our trials, James says, are self-induced. It's the three, it's the cycle of sin. We are lured by desire. I start thinking about that. It's like a fishing lure. You just, you just pulling it through the top of the water and, and Satan lures us out. So we're lured by desire and then sin is conceived. We take the bait. Then Satan sets the hook and death is the result. So let me say this. The desires, the ungodly desires in you right now have the ability to bring trials and tribulation into your life and don't be foolish Spirit of God wants you to overcome that temptation. It's not God tempting you. God's design, God's design is not for you just to make it through adversity, but be complete in a presentation of his goodness. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to be drug off by sinful desires. I don't want you to walk through trials that you don't have to. I want you to be made complete in it. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and it will, it will flee. 
this is what he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down to the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or shadow of his own. He will be brought forth by the word of truth, that we should be the first kind of fruits. Listen.